And when you turn there, I want you to notice that there is a title above this psalm. This is the first of the psalms that includes a title or a superscription. And here's what it says. And it should say this in your Bible. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now these titles were added to the psalm by the individual who compiled all 150 psalms together. David didn't write all the psalms. Uh, he wrote about 73 of the psalms, but there were others who wrote the psalms, and then there was a compiler. We think it could have been Ezra. And if Ezra was the compiler, he added the titles to many of these psalms. And very interestingly, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament often refer to these titles. They treat them nearly as if they're inspired. Now one thing that these titles do is they give us the context in which the psalm was written. And uh, they give us a clue into the message and how to interpret the psalm. So, the title here is, A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom His Son. So that means that this psalm is written against the backdrop of 2 Samuel. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to mark Psalm 3, and I want you to turn to 2 Samuel. So let's just do that for a moment. And I want to set up this psalm for you. Look at it in context. And what we're going to have to do is I, we're going to flip back from 2 Samuel to Psalms three or four times. Okay, So keep both of these sections marked. And when you get to 2 Samuel, go to uh, chapter 14. Okay? Now, Absalom, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, from the end of 14 all the way to chapter 18 in 2 Samuel, we have Absalom, who is David's third son, King David's third son, connives to overthrow his father's throne and become king himself. Can you imagine that? Your son wants to have you assassinated and then you take over the throne. Okay. So in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 25 it says, Now in all of Israel... There was no one who was praised as much as Absalom. Why was he praised? Look at this. For his good looks. This was a handsome young man. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now look at chapter 15. It says, After this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots, and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and he would stand beside the way of the gate. And so it was when anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call him to him, call to him and say, uh, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good. You've got a good case. And it's right. But there's no deputy of the king to hear you. The king is backlogged with making decisions. And he doesn't have any deputy to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made 
judge in the land. And everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was. Whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put his out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the ju a king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now this is this guy. You can't imagine this young man Absalom. He is uh, handsome. He is winsome. He is a people person. Uh, he's never met a person that he didn't like, and uh, he makes them feel wanted. He empathizes with people. They have problems. He says, I understand. If I were the judge, I would take care of it. You'd have justice. Uh, he's just a, you know, an all-around uh, people person. He gives people uh, his time. And this is what people want. This is what they want in their politicians. And this is what they want in their pastors. And this is what they want in their physicians. Somebody with a good bedside manner. Someone who won't rush you through. Someone who empathizes with you. Someone who gives you their time. Someone touches, listens, and is all for you. Now, before we moved to Dallas, Lynn was an operating room nurse in a small county hospital. And there was this doctor. And his name should have been Absalom. <laughs> this man was tall. He was handsome. He looked like a Hollywood movie star. And he had a bedside manner that you couldn't believe. All of his patients, down to the very last one, loved this man. They all fell in love with him. Uh, he was an unbelievable people person. But in the operating room, he was a butcher. They didn't realize it. In the operating room, these people whom he loved in the waiting room were victimized by this man. <coughs> and the other doctors in the hospital and the nurses were aghast. They were horrified when they saw this man operate. In fact, this man hadn't even gotten his state board license. He hadn't passed his state board exam. So you, he had his medical degree. And he was hired by the hospital like they hire you. But he hadn't passed his state boards and the last we knew he never hadn't passed them uh, ever. But he was like Absalom. The people just fell in love with him. Okay? That is not necessarily a good thing. Oftentimes people want something, they think they know what they want, and they are victimized. And these people said, only if Absalom could be king. Boy, things would be different in Israel. So now 40 years pass. Okay? We're going to jump ahead 40 years. Okay? And we're going to see what happens. Absalom goes to Hebron, and he conspires, finally after 40 years, to overthrow his father's throne. And word gets back to David and he has to flee Jerusalem. He has to flee for his life and his cabinet. They flee from the town too because they're all going to be slaughtered. And uh, this psalm, Psalm 3, is called a mourning psalm. 
Psalm 4 is called an evening psalm. Psalm 3 is called a morning psalm. It's a morning psalm because Psalm 3 takes place the morning after Absalom tries to overthrow the throne. He's going into town. He's going to kill David. And David gets wind of it. And he leaves. And in this psalm, he tells about those events that happened the night before. And he's reflecting on the events of the next morning. Okay? So uh, that's sort of the setup. Okay, So let's look at uh, Psalm 3. Now we're going to have to go back there. So Mark... Mark your uh, Second Samuel passage. So let's look at Psalm three. Here's what David says, and we're going to divide this psalm into four sections. Uh, verses one, there's eight verses. Verses one and two, we're going to see David's trouble. Verses one and two. In verses three and four, we're going to see David's trust. Okay. Verses five and six, we're going to see David's peace of mind. Okay. And then finally, we're going to see his cry to the Lord. Okay, so let's look at David's trouble. Now look at verse 1. Lord, this is David speaking, Lord, how they, notice the they, that's his enemies, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. David is astonished. In fact, the, uh, you notice there's, in my Bible at least, there's a, uh, an exclamation point after that first sentence. Lord, how they've increased to trouble me. David's astonished that people are following Absalom and turning against him. He said they've risen up. Now, uh, the support for Absalom is snowballing. And if you look back at 2 Samuel again, I hope you don't mind me turning you back there because this will bring that this psalm to life. But look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15 and verse 12. Remember, David's astonished that the support for Absalom is snowballing. It says, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Now look at this. David's counselor. Absalom sends for David's counselor. From his city while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number so Absalom's support is getting stronger people were abandoning King David even his chief counselor his right hand man leaving him and switching allegiance. Now look back at Psalm and look at the verse 2. Now look what David says to God. He says, God, many are they who say of me, there is no hope for him. There's no hope for David in God. And so David is not only troubled by Absalom's popularity, and the people are abandoning him, but he's being taunted. Notice he says, many are they who say of me, hey, God's abandoned David. Now, on what basis are they saying God has abandoned David? Because the people are supporting Absalom. Notice the taunts. God has abandoned David is based on numbers. Well, Absalom has the support, obviously, 
God's blessing Absalom. Uh, David's being abandoned by God. Watch out for poles. Okay? Watch out for numbers. Watch out when people count you out. Now David's shaken over this. I want you to notice. He's shaken. He's troubled. He's being taunted. He's shaken. But uh, he's not without hope. Now notice that that verse, verse 2, ends with the word Selah. You see that? Now that is a word that no one has ever been able to figure out what it means. But what we think is it's a an instruction to the musicians or the choir who sing these songs. It comes from a Hebrew root word which means rise. Now, it could mean raise your voice at this point to the singer. I think that's what it, or it could mean stand up for this, but I think it means to raise your voice. We're not sure of that. Okay? But it makes sense to me when you see this. David uh, has the choir raise their voice. And they say, there's no help for him! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's sort of a high point there. Now look at David's confidence, David's trust. We see David's trouble, look at David's trust. Verse 3, but you, ah, look at that. See? Verse 2, many are they who say, look at this, verse 3, but you, O Lord, see? David's not concerned about the people's opinion. He's concerned about God's opinion. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. See, there's the contrast. The people say one thing, David says another. But you, O Lord, this is what I have to say. God, you're a shield for me. You're my glory. You're the one who lifts up my head. Now, he describes God in three ways. God is a shield. Some translations say a shield that surrounds me. That's a very unusual shield. That means you're protected from every angle. Okay? You're my glory. <clears throat> when things happen, you get the credit. You get the reputation. And you're the one who lifts up my head. You're my encourager. You want to put it that way. So, David is putting his trust not in numbers at this point. He's putting his trust in God. Okay, so we see David's confidence, David's trust. Now look at verse 4. Now, remember, this is a morning song. Okay? He's telling you the morning after the coup has taken place, uh, what he's thinking. And now he points back to what happened the night before. Look what he says in verse 4. I cried to the Lord. That means last night when they came in, I had to flee. I cried to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me from his holy hill. Now here's the reason that David has confidence in the Lord. He says, when I cried out, the Lord heard me. Now where did he cry from? Does he cry from a holy hill? Okay. Which hill? What does he mean when he said, last night I cried from the holy hill? What hill is he talking about? Well watch this. Go back to, to uh, 2 Samuel again. And look down at verse 30. Down at verse 30. Maybe right before he fled. This may be as he's fleeing. Verse 30 says, And so David went up to the ascent to the Mount of Olives. He went to a place where there are olives. And he wept 
as he went up. Now, do you know anybody else that prayed near Olives? When there was somebody, a friend that betrayed him? When there was a conspiracy to assassinate him? you know somebody else that prayed to God and trusted God for the outcome? Well, Absalom has hatched this plot. David says, but I trust the Lord because I pray that he heard me. He's my shield. He's my glory. He's my encourager. He'll lift up my head. And so David trusts the Lord. Now look at his peace of mind. Look what David says he did. Now go back to Psalm and look at verse 5. So as a result of that, he knows God's heard him. He has this assurance. Look what he does in verse 5. I lay down and I slept. That's a good one, isn't it? Well, if God's going to protect you, you don't have to stay up with, you know, guard yourself at night. I lay and I slept. I awoke, meaning the next morning, for the Lord sustained me. So he, he survived that first night of the coup. One writer says he pillowed his head on the promises of God that night. That's exactly what he did. By the way, this is a great psalm for those of you who can't sleep. You read this psalm and you realize that God's your protector. Uh, God's the one going to lift up your head in your depression. You'll get to sleep. You don't have to worry about anything. He's got that night taken care of and he's got the next morning taken care of. David lays down. He sleeps. He awoke the next morning absolutely refreshed. He says for the Lord is saying. Now look at the result. Verse 7. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of the people. Look at that. Look at that. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. You wonder how many people came against him? A lot of people. A lot of people had sided with Absalom. David's losing his support. But guess what? If God is for you, you know. Look what he says. I will not be afraid of the ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So here's David. He's got his confidence in God. He's going to trust God to protect him. And he's not going to be afraid of this attempt to overthrow his government. Now, does that mean that David just sits back passively? Not going to do just sit back passively. He's going to uh, uh, stand up and he's going to gather his troops and he's going to do what God wants him to do. He's going to fight. But he's not depending on his own strength for this battle. He's depending uh, on God. So now we have this call of deliverance. Look at verse 7. Look at David says, Arise, O Lord. Notice he doesn't say to his army, Arise, O army. He says, Arise, O Lord. Save me, which means deliver me. Deliver me from the coup. O my God. Now what's the basis for him expecting God to do that? Look, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. And this is describing something in the past. He said, in the past when I had enemies come against me, you struck them on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now, do you see that word ungodly? Have you seen that before? Look at the end of Psalm 1. But the way of the ungodly, what? Shall perish. And look at Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of what? The ungodly. See, Absalom has gotten all these people together and they have conspired. And uh, David, he's not 
doing that. He's trusting the Lord, and he realizes the people who are coming against him are ungodly, and he says, God, save me, and I know you will, because in the past you struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you've broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now, what does that mean, you struck my enemies on the cheekbone? Well, it's like means like you broke the jaw. Now, the enemies here are described, in a sense, as beasts, as wild animals. And the animal gets its strength. The animal's weapon is in its teeth. You break its jaw on that animal, what's he going to do, dumb you to death? Are you break all of his teeth out? It says God broke his jaw, and then after that he broke all of his teeth. What can the animal do? Gum you? Can't do that. So he real, what's, it, what's he saying? He's saying, in the past, my enemies were helpless when you were with me. And they'll be helpless this time because you are with me. And I think that's what he's trying to say at this point. Uh, if God did it in the past, did God bring you through in the past? He brought you through in the past? Maybe you had a problem, did you get through it? Are you here today? Well, he'll bring you through the next time. If he's done it in the past, he'll do it again. So now look at verse 8. Look what he says. He says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he's not talking about spiritual salvation or going to heaven. He's talking about being delivered. The word salvation means deliverance. Uh, and he's saying deliverance here belongs to the Lord. This is a faith statement. He doesn't trust himself to protect his nation. We don't trust ourselves to protect us. We are vulnerable. I don't care what you do to protect yourself. I don't care how many locks you have on your house. You think that you're protected? Somebody wants to get in, are they going to get in? At night when you're sleeping, they want to get in, can they get in? Yeah, sure they can. So guess what you do? You fill your head on the promises of God, and you sleep, and you trust God to protect you, because the God of Israel never slumbers nor sleeps, and He protects you, and deliverance is in God's hands. He's never lost the battle for those who trust Him. The moment you stop trusting him, then he's not in that battle anymore. Okay. Was it Abraham Lincoln who said something? Uh, everybody thinks that God's on their side. When did Abraham Lincoln that said that? Everybody thinks that God's on their side. He said, uh, the real question is not whether God's on your side. It's whether you're on God's side. You don't ask God to be on your side. Everybody asks God to be on their side. Did you know that? Did you know Hitler asked God to be on his side? The question is, you find out where God is and you get on his side. And so David trusts God. Okay? So, who's Absalom trusting, by the way? Ah, yeah, he's trusting himself. Even David's counselor, his secretary of state, his uh, <coughs> minister of defense has gone over to Absalom to advise Absalom. So, uh, when we face these crises of life, uh, we need to realize that God is there with us. Those of us who are people of faith, that God is with us whether we see Him or not. David doesn't see God. He doesn't see God. When Jesus knelt down in the garden where the olive trees were, He didn't see God. But He trusted God for that outcome. So when we face these crises of life, we need to realize that God's there whether we see Him or not. Now I want to show you how David was delivered from this coup. Very interesting. 
Now I want you to turn back with me to 2 Samuel 15. And we saw that uh, David prayed in verse 30. David went up the night of the coup by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. As he went up, he had his head covered. He went barefoot. He probably had to escape for his life and he had blood shoes on. And all the people uh, who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went up. So that's the prayer the night before. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. What a shock! David's trusted counselor has switched sides. This man, by the way, is, is a genius of military strategy. He's never given bad advice. Every piece of advice that he has given that David has followed has worked. And now this man has switched to the other side and he's going to counsel Absalom. Uh, from a human standpoint, David's dead in the water. But David's friend. See, that's what you need to understand. Now look what else it says there in verse 31. And David said, Oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. You've never been wrong in the past, but Lord, make what he says now nonsense. Now it happened, verse 32, when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushah, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. This man has been in a state of fasting. This is what happens when this overthrow is taking place, man. These people are desperate. And this man, Hushai, has been fasting. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you'll become a burden to me. But if you return to the city, the city where they've just fled, and you say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now be your servant, then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel. And so David sends Hushai, one of his own advisors, to go and say, I'm abandoning David, Absalom. I want to be one of your counselors. And switch your allegiance. Just tell him you're switching your allegiance. So in a sense, he becomes a spy. Okay? Now I want you to need to jump ahead, okay? So you can see how this story, we can go through the details. You see how interesting Samuel is. But let's just jump ahead to chapter 17. Okay. The time now arrives when uh, Absalom is ready to, because uh, David's fled. He's uh, ready now to make his main attack on David. discovered where he is. He's going to try to uh, assassinate him and take over the, the nation. Okay. And he, uh, he arrays a large battle, a large army is going to support him. Now the first thing that Absalom does is he seeks military advice. <clears throat> Look at uh, 17.1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now, let me choose 12,000 men. This is his advice. This tremendous military strategy. And I will arise and I will pursue David tonight. 
I will come upon him while he's weary and weak, and I'll make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I'll bring back all the people to you. And when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. In other words, they will be on your side. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now, if he follows this tremendous military man's strategy, David is a dead duck. Okay? But guess what he does? He seeks a second opinion. It's always good to do it. Now, look at verse 5. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai. The archite also. And let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he say? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And he offers an alternative strategy. And guess what? Absalom takes his advice instead of a great military strategist. And David sets a trap. Knowing the advice that Hushai has given him. And he will defeat Absalom. Now let me ask you a question. Did David defeat Absalom? Or did God defeat Absalom? David's the one that said, hey, go in there and be a spy, be in another. Look at verse 14. So Absalom and all these men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Well, what a mistake that was. Now, why did he say that? For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster upon Absalom. Now, I don't have to go into how Absalom died. Some of you know how he got his head caught in the branch and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, it came down, ultimately it came down to whose advice Absalom would follow. And the Lord, according to verse 14, determined which advice that would be. And he moved his heart to follow this bad advice. Now look, in verse 23. Verse 22. 17.23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and he hanged himself and he died. He committed suicide. He knew what was going to happen. He knew it was, guess what he knew? He knew with Absalom following that other advice, Absalom was going to be defeated, and guess what would happen to him and all the people who followed Absalom? They would be slaughtered. So guess what he did? He did. He, did, he just committed a hairy carry. He just figured this is the easiest way out. Now back to Psalm 3. Does that make sense to you? This is the context. Okay, the context. Now look at verse 8. So David says, 
deliverance belongs to the Lord. And then he says this. Your blessing is upon your people. Look at that. Your blessing is upon your people. Not the heathen. That's not who God blesses. Not the lost. Not those who mouth God-type words but trust themselves like Absalom. Not professors. But God's people who indeed trust Him. So, notice how it ends. Your blessing is upon your people. Now, go back to Psalm 1. It opens up with what? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Is David a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly? Yes, he is. That's why he's blessed. And at the end of Psalm 2, blessed are those who put their trust in him. That's God. Has David put his trust in God? Yes. So then, verse 8 of Psalm 3, your blessings are upon your people. That means those who trust in God. Now, David didn't know how God was going to deliver him. All he knew was that God was going to deliver him. He knew what would happen. He would be delivered. He didn't know how it would happen. Now, I want you to think for a moment of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sort of a parallel type story. He goes into that garden and he gets down on his knees and he prays. And he trusts God to deliver him from this crisis. What's the crisis? He's going to be brought in front of a trial, in front of the Sanhedrin, and they can put him to death. But he trusts God for the outcome. And guess what happens? He's put to death. It looks like God didn't come through. What a waste of night praying. But did God come through? Yes, three days later, God raised him from the dead. Jesus had the confidence that God would come through and deliver him. He didn't know how God would deliver him. Now, I want you to know, sometimes we're called to die in the faith. We're all going to die eventually. We're not always delivered the way we think we should be delivered. We've been delivered miraculously in the past. Most of us in this room, I imagine. I remember one day I was riding so fast down the road and it was wet in my car, hydroplane, and it was just started, and it just, I mean, at 70 miles an hour, and it was just going like this. And it was like, I, I can't explain it, but like invisible hands just stopped my car just like that. And I realize that this is miraculous. This is what God's doing. But guess what? There will come a time when I'll be delivered, but I won't be delivered that way. And so sometimes God calls us to die in the faith. And the deliverance is beyond the grave. The deliverance is the resurrection. And the same way that God delivers Jesus, He delivers us. Now, I think that Psalm 3 gives us a pattern of how to handle crises uh, when we're under attack. Uh, when we're under attack from our enemies. Uh, when we're under attack from our friends. Ahithophel. People that you've trusted all your life and now they turn on you. How do you handle that crisis? 
uh, when you're under attack from your children. <coughs> if you raise, rear in the admonition of the Lord and then they turn on you, how do you handle that? Well, when you look at the psalm, first of all, what you do is you reject their evaluation of you. Uh, the people said, uh, David's enemies said, Oh, God's against him. That's not true. God wasn't against David, was it? God hadn't forsaken David. Ah, oh, David's a, a bad king. Absalom would be a better king. Hey, when your friends and your family make these statements against you, that's not reality. And if you allow it, because that will drag you down and you will end up in a slew of despond. So the first thing you need to do is you need to reject ungodly evaluation of you and your faith and the way you live your life. Especially if you're a godly person. We're only talking about this if you're living your godly life. Because sometimes you might be living ungodly and someone comes up and disciplines you and that's necessary. But we're talking about someone who's living close to the Lord. Don't accept the evaluation of your enemies about you. That is not reality. And second of all, you need to pray for God to deliver you. Just like David did. Pray for God to deliver you. And then third, trust Him to deliver you His way. He'll surprise you. So, blessed are the people who trust in the Lord. Psalm 4 is called an evening psalm because it takes place on the night after the coup. Okay? And you'll see how David evaluates the situation the following night. Father, we thank you that in this psalm we see not only David and Jesus as our ultimate model. Uh, but we can take these lessons from a giant of the faith, a man who has a heart from you and from your very own son. And we can follow these steps when we face crisis. And when people run us down and say hurtful things that could put us into a period of depression. Oh Lord, help us not to not to go that way. Help us to realize that you are our shield. You are our glory. You are the one who lifts up our faith. Help us to realize that we just need to pray and trust you for the outcome. And uh, get a good night's sleep and get up refreshed and be surprised.